Praise the Lord. I am Rajat and you are listening to Biblical Demand Podcast where we discuss and answer difficult questions raised against the Bible, God and the Christian faith. In the Gospel according to Apostle John chapter 8 verse 32, Jesus said, "And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free." Amen. So let's get started. Welcome to Biblical Demand and today our guest is Dr. Woody Bockum. So it's a joy to have you here sir on the podcast. Ah, uh, thank you. It's good to be with you. So let's begin with this story. Tell us how you came to know about Jesus and how did you encounter Jesus? Yeah, for me it was an interesting journey. I grew up in a non-Christian home. I was raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. Uh I never heard the gospel to my first year in university. And um when I heard the gospel, when a gentleman came to share Christ with me, it was obvious to him that i didn't have a lot of foundational um information or understanding uh, for him to to work with so he picked up his bible and he said okay this is the bible and we started there and we began to have conversations on almost daily basis uh, i had a lot of questions and he would answer my questions and if he couldn't answer my questions he would um show me where to go to find answers for my questions And so I always tell people that I was being trained in apologetics before I was converted. Um and you know Friday November 13th 1987 I didn't have any more questions. And Steve was late for our normal meeting and I was in the locker room I was a football player at the time university and I I realized I didn't have any more questions and so I just laid down on the floor and I just prayed to God. to save me and um and he did and life has never been the same since about wow, that that's good to hear that god used some man that as you said you were born in a buddhist family and you were following maybe their doctrines but eventually you get to know christ so moving on to as you mentioned about buddhism also uh, I, i live in india where it is a country of uh, many multiple religions right and we call it polytheism mm-hmm. so when we study uh the world religions then we read about polytheism which means multiple god and after coming to christ i got to know that yes god is one that is monotheism so uh and time to time we see throughout the bible that uh, bible claiming about monotheism that monotheism and bible supports monotheism so uh, the question is why there can't be uh, many gods or in other words why not polytheism well, for one thing the god of the bible makes it clear that he is one um he, he it's clear throughout the bible um it, the declaration that you know i am god and you should have no other gods before me the commandment um that we should have no other gods before god that's the first commandment it's foundational um to all the commandments and not only that but you know israel is 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 ultimately judged and disciplined for their faithlessness to the one true living god and for worshiping idols um and so you know the 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 bible makes it clear and and then by the very nature of god uh it makes it clear that there is one supreme god there are not multiple gods there are not multiple wills in the universe um the world that god created is a world that is moving in one direction and the bible is 
uh, a single story, 66 books telling us that single story of history moving in a single direction and toward a singular end. Not a battle between the wills of many gods, but the unfolding of the will of the one true and living God who has revealed himself as the one true and living God. He's revealed himself in, in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but one God with, 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 with one essence, right? Um, and so, again, when we read the message of the Bible, we are reading that clear message that there is but one true God. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, you said that uh, there couldn't be multiple wills uh, for this uh, for this universe or for this earth. So there could be one will, and that is the will of one God who is in three yeah. persons, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. So, right, but it comes to, uh, see, when we talk about, but people don't, people get it when we talk about three God, uh, three persons and one God. So they say one plus one, one plus one is equal to three. So how do you uh, tackle this questions about the Trinity that how can God be uh, three in one? Yeah. You know, the, 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 there's a really easy answer to that question, especially I love when people bring maths into it, right? One plus one plus one is three. Yes, that's true. But one times one times one is one, right? Um, there is one God. This one God has revealed himself to us in three persons. Um, the, the Bible reveals the Holy Spirit to us as God. The Bible reveals the Father to us as God. The Bible reveals the Son to us as God. And the Bible is absolutely clear that there is but one God. And so we have to understand that this, this, this God who has revealed himself to us is not like us. So one of the things that we do is we try to sort of reflect or, and, and, and impose um, our humanity on God. And so our understanding is that God is just a a big man or a powerful man, right? Uh, God is super man. No, he's not. God is a spirit and, and he doesn't have a body like men, which is why the incarnation is miraculous in that this God who is spirit has taken on this nature, this flesh, right? But it is the one God. It is the one God revealed throughout scripture, who is revealed as God the Father, who is revealed as God the Son, and who is revealed as God the Spirit. Um, one, one God in essence. And so we have to, we, when we read the scriptures, what we have to do is we have to read and understand the scriptures as God reveals them to us and not impose um, our understanding or anthropomorphize, you know, uh, God, uh, make God just Superman. He's not just Superman. God is God. Yeah, correct. You said uh, very right that God, Bible clearly says that God is a, is a spirit. And yes. when we talk about the Trinity, we consider God as a man, right? Or we consider that God maybe have a character like humans. Is that correct? Say again. 
uh, when you say uh, you were saying that people when come to when they understand trinity they understand yeah. through the man's perspective that god may have a physical being or that's how they add up one plus one one plus one is equal to three right yeah 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 and they don't understand they don't understand the god of spirit and they don't understand the miracle of the incarnation in that you know the eternal son of god who has existed eternally um as god takes on this second nature in the hypostatic union that he actually takes on flesh um you know this this is the this is this is the mystery of the hypostatic union right this is the mystery the great mystery of the incarnation but people have to understand that jesus didn't sort of become god right god became man but jesus didn't become god he is the eternally begotten son of god he has existed throughout all eternity uh equal with god and in perfect union with God the Father, perfect union with God the Spirit. Um, and so we, we, we can't just look at this and say, well, you know, this, this must mean that God is like man. No, this means that God became a man. And that's the, that's the miracle of the incarnation. And of course, God does that. God the Son does that because man has fallen into sin, right? Uh, God makes man in his own image. Adam, uh, our federal head and representative falls into sin. And all of us are guilty because of sin imputed to us through Adam. And so in order for that to be rectified, it has to be rectified by man. But of course, man is born in sin as we inherit it from Adam. But in the incarnation, we have Christ born of a virgin, born of the spirit, so that on the one hand, he is human. And on the other hand, he is divine so that as a man, he can take our place and pay our price. But as God, he is sinless and keeps the law of God perfectly. And so in these things, in this hypostatic union, we have this double imputation so that our sin can be imputed to Christ, the God man, and his righteousness can be imputed to us so that he pays the penalty that we owe and dispenses to us the grace of God, which we do not deserve. Well, absolutely right. Absolutely right. That makes a uh, uh, good uh, I think uh, good understanding of this concept of uh, Trinity and the uh, thing. So there is a follow-up question about that. You were mentioning that God uh, became human. He uh, took the uh, human uh, nature or human form. Uh, and uh, we see that the, uh, there are Bible critics, those who make, uh, you know, always crit uh, criticism against Bible. So they find many contradictions in the Bible. And one of the contradiction is, uh, is that the Bible says Jesus was sinless. Right, because he uh, was born of a virgin, born of a spirit. He's a sinless. And on the yeah. other hand, when we read the book books of Bible, we uh, Paul mentions that God became sin for us, or Jesus became sin for us. So, isn't it a contradiction? So, how do you answer such type of questions? Uh, yeah, 
the idea of him become, becoming sin for us, he didn't become a sinner for us. He became sin for us. Our sin was imputed to him, right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, right? Isaiah says it this way, all we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way, but God hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It's a picture of imputation. And it's interesting because in the history of Israel, in their sacrificial worship, they've seen this, right? They've seen the lamb who is slain year after year. They've seen the scapegoat, right? Uh, you know, on whose head the sins of the nation are symbolically placed. They're imputed, right? So we, they, we understand imputation because of the history of Israel. He was our representative. Just as Adam was our representative in the garden, the last Adam is our representative. And as our representative, he takes on himself our sins. He doesn't commit sin, right? There, 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 there is no sin in him, but he actually takes upon himself this penalty that we owe. And it is imputed to him, just like his righteousness is imputed to us. We're not righteous, right? But his righteousness is imputed to him. He's not sinful, but our sinfulness is imputed to him. So that's what the scripture is talking about. There's yeah. no contradiction there at all. Yeah, great. You, you, uh, there is a dis distinction between sin and sinner. You said that Jesus didn't become a sinner, but he imputed our sins just as he imputed his righteousness on us. Yes. Yeah, so that's a very interesting. So, uh, also you were mentioning that in the Old Testament, there is a whole story of the uh, history of the Israelite, right? And the Bible now is available in all languages to, I mean, most of the languages and to all the nations. So, isn't it make it uh, and uh, become, uh, it's a very practical question that it becomes very boring for the people like us, those who have, you know, those who have to read about the other nations' history like Israel, because throughout the Bible talking about the Israelite story. So how do, how, uh, the question is, how do we see this story? Like uh, people are not aware of uh, that slaying, uh, slay, uh, slaying the lamb or slaying the lamb or sacrifices, because these are the more theological terms we use uh, in the Bible. So in the modern language, in modern context, like I talk with the young people, they, they, they don't care about the word sacrifice, atonement, penal substitution. So how do we see, how do we make them understand what history is about and why the history of Israelites is so important in the Christian walk? Yeah, well, first of all, we have to make them understand that all, all history is our history, right? Um, in essence, God made all mankind from the one man, Adam. So what we see in the Bible is the story of human history. We see the story of the fall of humankind. We see the story of the redemption of humankind. Now, it takes place in, in, in a particular place in, in, in the world, in a particular, you know, people group in the world. But of course, it had to, right? Um, because God doesn't do this multiple times. He, 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 does, this, he does this one time. And he does it in a place and in a time that was ideal for the truth to be communicated to the rest of the world and the rest of mankind. I mean, think about um, 
the ancient Near East. Think about Israel. Think about where Israel is. It's it's this land bridge, right, that connects uh, Europe and Asia and Africa. Think about, you know, the Roman Empire and Koine Greek at that time. Think about the fact that, you know, um, you know, if, about 100 years before Christ, less than 100 years before Christ, even the Old Testament is translated the Septuagint into that Koine, into that Greek language that that basically the, 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 the world is speaking at the time. So think about how you're at that crossroads, you have this common language, and this message goes throughout the world very quickly because of the particular time and place in history that it happens. So we have to make people understand that this is the providence of God. We have to make people understand that this is not just the history of a peculiar people. This is a history of the redemption of mankind. Yeah, that's correct. That it is a history of the redemption. Uh, it is a history of the redemption for the mankind. That's a very interesting yeah. uh, said. So moving on to the next question that people frequently ask uh, at once. I also had this question that when God knows that evil exists, then why doesn't he eliminate it? Why doesn't he eliminate the evil and suffering at once? This is what the people expect from God. That why is yeah. taking too much time? Yeah, here's the thing. If God eliminates all evil tonight, we're all gone tomorrow. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When people ask that question, usually what they mean is, why doesn't God eliminate all evil outside of me? Because nobody's asking, why hasn't God killed me? Because God should have destroyed me for what I thought, said, and did on last night, but he didn't. It is merely the mercy and grace of God that allows me and you to exist and be here in this moment. Because all of us, because of what we've thought and what we've said and what we've done, deserve death, hell, and the grave. So the answer to that question is the mercy and the grace of God. Why hasn't all evil been eliminated? Number one, because of the mercy and grace of God. But secondly, we need to be aware that all evil will be eliminated. All evil is going to be eliminated. God is going to deal with all sin. He's going to punish all sin. He's going to destroy all sin. And he's going to make the whole world new. And so the question then becomes, what do we do with his only solution for sin, which is placing our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely correct that. People want to uh, eliminate it outside of them, right? Because we do evil actions, right? So it's the mercies of God that he has saved us so that we have a time to accept the only solution to the to eliminate the sin that is the finished work of Christ. Yeah, so uh, finished work of Christ, we believe that Jesus uh, is fully divine and fully, hu uh, fully human. Mm -hmm. So the question comes to mind is that is Jesus still human and divine after his resurrection yeah he resurrected in a body yes absolutely he did he resurrected in a body um and that's good news because we have hope of the resurrection as well god will redeem us 
He will redeem us spiritually, but he will also redeem our bodies. He will also redeem the heavens and the earth. The, the heavens and the earth will be made new as well. Hmm. So Jesus has a physical body and the spiritual and he reality. ascended bodily. He yeah. ascended bodily, right? The, yeah. Yeah. The Bible clearly mentioned that he it was a body. And he's going to return bodily. Yeah. And yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So coming from India, we believe that moksha or salvation can be achieved by karma or works. Uh, but the Bible says that it is a free gift of God through Christ or through faith. Yeah. Right. So why salvation? Yeah, by grace, you have been saved through faith, through faith. and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. Correct. Yeah. So why salvation cannot be achieved with karma? Because many philosophies say it can be achieved. Like one of them is uh, Hinduism. So yeah. Speak yeah. And, and, but the problem with that is in order for an action to be righteous, it has to be the right thing done the right way for the right reason. Right. And the problem with our actions is, by the way, the only right reason is the glory of God. Um, not, not, not for not for self. The only right way is the way that God demands. And because we're fallen in Adam, because we are fallen sinners, um, none of our actions are ever righteous. Um, therefore, because none of our actions are ever righteous, and again, the Bible makes it clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, elsewhere we read, you know, there's none righteous, no, not even one, that our righteousness before God is like filthy rags, right? Um, and so, because of that, men fool themselves um, and lie to themselves if they believe that we could ever do anything um, to, 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 to save ourselves, that our actions could ever be good enough or righteous enough. You know, it's interesting. All the other religions in the world can basically be boiled down to this. You need to have a religious experience. And then from that moment on, you need to do more good things than bad things and then hope for the best when you die. And a couple of problems with that. Number one, I can't be good. You can't be good. That's problem number one. Problem number two, what about all the things that you did before your religious experience? You, you, nobody has an answer for that, right? We all know that we're not righteous. And we all know that even, you know, if we can be good from here on out, we can't take away what we've done that wasn't good before now. The only place you find an answer for that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely correct. That what good can we do? This is the question. What yeah. you know? So we can't do anything good. So God has to take a step, and He has to do some good, and He did through the person of and the deity of Christ. Uh, thank you, sir, for this uh, lovely answer. So moving on to the last question, which I usually ask every guest. That mm -hmm. uh, this is for the. Uh, Christian people only for the especially for mm -hmm. the youngsters. So, what advice would you give to Christian youth who are in this internet age and influenced by culture, philosophies, and other worldviews? So, what advice yeah. would you give them? A couple of things. Um, don't stop being a reader. There is something um, tangibly and fundamentally different about reading and engaging in that way. Um, fundamentally different than, you know, receiving things through, you know, Im images. Um, again, not that that not that that's wrong. If I believe that that was wrong, I wouldn't be here right now. Right. 
Um, but but we we need to be illiterate people and we need to read and we need to follow arguments. We need to learn how to do that. That's a discipline that we need to have to be able to read and to be able to follow arguments and not just be swayed by emotions and by other influences and things of that nature. So that's one thing that I would say to young people. Um, the, the second thing that I would say is we need to get to the source, right? We need to <clears throat> ask good questions, follow arguments and get to the source, right? Where, where, where is this coming from? And when I say source, I mean, ideologically, what, what's the fundamental ideology behind this, right? Follow these things through to their logical conclusion. If this is true, then that is true. And I think if we get into the habit of doing this, right, being illiterate, being literate people, um, reading, following arguments through, following them through to their source and fundamental um, um, foundations, um, and then asking those questions, okay, what if, right? Following these things through to the logical conclusion. I think these are some things that Christians need to do more of. I think these are things that all of us need to do more of. And, and, and you know, we need to be careful, right? We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Um, and we need to be Bereans, you know? Um, the, 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 the Bereans were were lauded because, you know, even when the apostle came to them, they searched the scriptures to make sure that what they were hearing was true. Wow, that is a very fantastic uh, advice that we need to read. Whatever we read, we need to read it fundamentally and we should uh, make, we should see that is it, is it making a logical sense or how is it behaving with my or aligning with my worldview that is my Christian worldview, right? Yeah. yeah so before we yeah. uh yeah so one more uh i want you to just tell us about your uh, the book the recent book that is fault lines so can you just give yeah. us a brief in a nutshell what is this all all about yeah the fault the, the subtitle really says it all um the social justice movement and evangelicalism's looming catastrophe the critical social justice movement is a dangerous threat to evangelicalism and within evangelicalism, because it is rooted in an ideology that is antithetical to biblical truth. It's rooted in a sense of justice that's antithetical to biblical justice. Biblical justice is the righteous application of the law of God, whereas social justice is about redistributing uh, wealth and power and so on and so forth in able to create a kind of equity that has never existed anywhere in the world and that God doesn't require anywhere in the world. And so we're seeing this ideology take root within evangelicalism and we're seeing people's faith be shipwrecked because of this ideology. And so really, I wrote this book to address that and as a clarion call and a warning to Christians um, in the face of this looming ideology. Wow, that's a very interesting, uh, it's going to be a very interesting. Those who want to read this book, I can, uh, there's a link in the description. You may order it from Amazon or any other website. So thank you, Dr. Woody, for your time. And it was a really a good conversation. And uh, I hope that yes. people are going to be blessed after watching this video. Yeah, thank you. It's been my pleasure. I've appreciated this.
Thank you.